Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Kicked out of her home with only months to live. He actually told us to F off and start bugging him. Why a dying woman says she was evicted and what happened when Global News caught up with her landlord. Plus, a beer league hockey game takes an ugly turn. All I know is I backed away and went straight into the league office and called 911. The incident under investigation and the former pro allegedly involved. And uncertain future. It's obviously a key disappointment. What's next for downtown Vancouver with Nordstrom on the way out? You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. We begin tonight with a story out of Nanaimo about a seemingly heartless eviction. A woman who says she may only have a few months to live ordered out by her landlord. As Kylie Stanton reports, she says she was evicted because her end-of-life care was too disruptive. In a motel room living out of a suitcase, this is not the way Sharon Kowalchuk imagined the final chapter of her life would play out. I'm dying. Um, my organs are shutting down slowly. Up until Thursday, the 65-year-old had been living here with her husband in South Nanaimo, paying $1,050 a month for a room upstairs. We shared the kitchen and the bathroom with six other people. But two weeks ago, the couple says the landlord told them they were being evicted. The reason? Guys, I have too many ambulances, the neighbors are complaining, and I, I just shook my head, I, I, I couldn't believe it. Are you serious? So serious, in fact, on Wednesday, they say the landlord cut the heat and power to the unit. My oxygen was shut off, all my groceries were left. And he did not care. The couple says the landlord is Duart Rapton. When Global News approached him for an interview, he had this to say. Get you guys ruined my life. BC's housing minister has confirmed the government is aware of the situation and is now investigating. Yesterday is when we first found out about it. And in fact, we had the compliance enforcement uh, officer go in, uh, talk to people, assess the situation, and there's an active investigation on it right now. In the meantime, support is coming in from all angles. Do you mind if I just like fill in for you? Risebridge, a local charity that works to tackle the housing crisis in the city, is helping the couple to file a dispute through the residential tenancy branch while finding them somewhere else to call home. And the word has gotten out. A GoFundMe set up for the couple has now raised more than $22,000 and counting. There's a whole community rallying behind them. But there's no denying the experience has made a fragile situation that much more difficult. She doesn't deserve it. None of us. The worst part of all... Scared. ...is not knowing how her story will end. It's scary. Kylie Stanton, Global News. 
We are learning more tonight about three people killed in an avalanche in Panorama and the heartbreaking reality for one family. Three men from the same town in Germany were all killed. And as Jamie Dahl reports, the trip was supposed to be a celebration. Choppers sit idle at RK Heliski. The weight of this tragedy not lifting anytime soon. And it's being felt right across the Atlantic, hitting so many hearts here in a small village called Eging MC in Bavaria, Germany. That's a big impact. I mean, it, the village has about around about uh, 4,000 uh, inhabitants, so everybody knows everybody. Four men from that region were caught in the avalanche outside of Panorama, but only a 25-year-old will be returning home. He lost his father, his brother-in-law, and the friend of the group. The German newspaper reporting the heli trip to Canada was a gift to the 25-year-old for completing his degree. It's an appealing adventure for many international tourists. This man and his friends were booked into heli ski the day after the slide. I just can't put it in words. Um, I'm a little bit lucky, but I'm very, very sad about the people. It was a great wish of us to do this in, in, in this life, uh, to go for heli skiing. But uh, on the other hand, uh, it, it seems to be dangerous. The warnings from forecasters have been abundant with difficult snowpack this year. Assessing the conditions is a daily ritual for guides and heli skiing companies, but it's not fail-proof. You can be making good decisions and um, have great outcomes. You can be making terrible decisions and get good outcomes. And you can be making good decisions and have bad outcomes. And, and those things are all possible um, to have in, in the mountains. 12 ski patrollers from Panorama Ski Resort went out of bounds to assist in the rescue on Wednesday. The resort releasing a statement showing its support for RK Heliski and also offering its condolences, as so many have done to those impacted both here and abroad, now left to navigate their grief. Jamie Daw, Global News, Panorama. A new development in the story of Jessica Kane, the Vancouver escort accused of drugging and robbing men and facing a manslaughter charge. Global News has learned Kane is also under investigation in Alberta. More from Rumina Dea. Sources tell Global News homicide detectives from the Edmonton Police Service were in B.C. a few months ago in connection to an investigation concerning Vancouver escort Jessica Kane. I just want to talk to you about the allegations. Why not? These are serious charges. You don't know the background. We're talking, well, this is why I'm asking you. These are serious charges. We're talking manslaughter, allegations of drugging guys, robbing them. Kane is facing 25 charges in B.C., including manslaughter, administering a stupefying drug, extortion and theft. The charges dating back to 2021 in relation to multiple alleged victims from across the Lower Mainland. According to sources, Edmonton homicide detectives were in B.C. in the fall of 2022 and Surrey RCMP visited Edmonton last year. We reached out to both agencies, neither is commenting. Calgary police would only say alert. A specialized task force from Alberta is the lead agency on the Jessica Kane file. A spokesperson for alert told us he could not confirm or deny whether someone is under active investigation. No charges have been laid in Alberta. In B.C., none of the allegations have been proven in court. Kane is out on $50,000 bail. Her next court appearance is in Surrey next week and later this month in Vancouver. Romina Dea, Global News. 
Three people were taken to hospital after a violent and bizarre incident last night in which the victims are also the suspects. Vancouver police were called to a back alley near Nelson and Granville at about 7.30 in the evening. They say there were three men having an argument which escalated and all three ended up being stabbed. Police say the men knew each other and are all expected to survive their injuries. And fresh concerns about the vitality of Vancouver's downtown core with the news Nordstrom is pulling out of Canada. The retailer occupies a large piece of prime real estate and it's unclear who, if anyone, will be interested in taking over that space. Kristen Robinson reports. Eaton's held the Pacific Centre corner for a quarter century before what was once Canada's biggest department store chain went bankrupt. Sears moved in in 2000 and lasted more than a decade before Nordstrom opened in 2015 as part of the Seattle high-end retailer's expansion north. We were uh, surprised and, and shocked, just as I think almost everybody seems to have been. Nordstrom will close 13 Canadian rack and retail stores, including the Vancouver flagship, by late June. Despite the whole... Downtown Van is confident landlord Cadillac Fairview will find a new anchor tenant. They have the expertise to find uh, the best retailer for this location. And, you know, our role would be to support them if they asked. From a Vancouver standpoint, this, this store was a high performer. Overall, Nordstrom says it couldn't see a path to profitability in Canada. One of Vancouver's top brokers says a few brands could digest the 230,000 square feet but more likely, several tenants will share the three floors. There's more opportunity for a subdivision, allowing for a greater mix of retailers and probably some entertainment, food and beverage. Perhaps, you know, an exciting um, sort of food-style experience like you see Italy and New York, um, where there's a lot of different food bundled into one roof. I think that, you know, creative uses for arts group could become a tech hub. Councillor Sarah Kirby-Young says Nordstrom's loss means moving forward on the recently approved plan to revitalize the Granville Street Entertainment District is now more important than ever. It is going to be a significant gap. It's going to be incredibly hard to fill. Even a department store like Simon's usually takes less than half of the space that Nordstrom has, even if they wanted it. But it's going to be a mix of office, I'm pretty sure. Nordstrom's final Canadian days will include a court-approved liquidation sale later this month. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Well, a few weeks ago, Premier David Eby announced a billion-dollar fund for municipalities to deal with their growing populations. Well, now we know more about which municipalities are getting and how much, uh, which municipalities rather are getting how much. Our Keith Bolt rejoins us now from the legislature. What about these allocations, Keith? Yeah, doesn't matter where you live. Your town is going to get some money out of this fund. It, again, urban, rural. Uh, it's based on how much you get on your population size, but also your population growth between 2016 and 2021. And this is for infrastructure projects, housing, recreational facilities, water, sewage, and the like. Here's uh, some examples of what some of the towns are getting, both big and small. Surrey has the list with rapid population growth at almost $90 million. Vancouver, almost $50 million. And Burnaby at $28.8 million. But even 
Southern Lake Cowich and the McKenzie, McKenzie small towns like that are also dipping into this pie. About 150 communities and about more than 20 regional districts are dividing this unprecedented billion dollars up. Premier David Eby talking about it today, pointing out it's based on population growth, which brings with it huge infrastructure needs and that's what this fund is going to be paying for. Uh, the Growing Communities Fund is about recognizing that um, there's, a, there's a significant uh, positive impact in the population growth that we're seeing in our province, but that brings with it responsibility that our infrastructure grows too. So our work with uh, municipalities, with regional districts around this fund is to ensure that they have the resources to build out the things that make communities work. So this billion dollars comes, of course, from the current fiscal year's huge surplus of more than $7 billion. There's still money to be spent here. I'm being told a chunk of that money that's remaining will be applied against the debt, but more spending will occur between now and March 31st when, by law, if it's not spent, it automatically go against the debt. So what is next in terms of spending? BC Ferry's got a half a billion dollars. I wonder, Sophie, whether something like TransLink might be the recipient of another big funding envelope from Victoria. Look for more spending mm -hmm. announcements from the Premier and his ministers next week. Well, the mayors would certainly want that. Thank I you, Keith. So. Multiple yeah. investigations are underway into an on-ice altercation at a beer league hockey game. The incident caught on camera in Surrey last week and allegedly involved a referee and a former pro hockey player. What the ref says happened on and off the ice next on the news hour. The rocky road to getting a driver's license. How the test could open emotional war wounds for some Ukrainian refugees later on the news hour. Plus, as the saying goes, March is definitely coming in like a lion. The Coquihalla closure and the local snowfall warnings still to come. Right now, though, an incident at a rec league hockey game is under investigation. And tonight we're hearing from the referee who was allegedly assaulted twice by a former professional hockey player. Julie Nolan has more on the altercation caught on camera and what the ref says about it. It's crazy to, to attack somebody over, over a beer league hockey game. A game Tuesday night in Langley in the Adult Safe Hockey League took a sharp turn for this referee who does not want to be identified, fearing for his safety. The referee tells Global News that after asking a player to wear a proper visor, that same player engaged in a fight twice with an opposing player and then... I do my job as a referee. I got to get in between them. I go get in between him, try to intercept him, and at that point is when the, he punches me in the face, throws me to the ice, lands on top of me very aggressively, and then when I stood up again, he popped me in the face again for a second time. According to the referee, following a penalty call, the player continued to make threats to the opposing player, and the referee says things escalated even more came over and, and was yelling at me that he was going to see me in the parking lot. I asked him why he wanted to do that and he said you'll find out when you get out there. The referee says having already been hit twice, the player followed him to the dressing room, punching him for a third time. I tried to kind of push him off a little bit, but he's so big it was hard. And then at that point he just grabbed me and punched me in the face, knocked my helmet off my head uh, and ended up pulling my jersey over my head and jerseying me, so I don't know what happened after that. The referee called 911 and RCMP arrived. Langley RCMP confirmed frontline officers responded and were advised there had been an altercation between a player and an on-ice official that resulted in the alleged assault of that official. 
The player has been identified as John Craighead, a former NHL player, an owner of the Surrey Knights, and a member of the Canucks alumni. Craighead calls the allegations a defamation of character, propaganda, and are being made because of his race. Thanks. I got no, no comment on, on that at all. But yeah, blown out of proportion, and uh, that's just it. The ASHL says we are working with the RCMP. Video evidence has been provided. Our rules are very clear. We do not tolerate this type of behavior. And once the investigation is complete, we will act accordingly. You're supposed to go out there and have fun and it's sad because you can't even go out there and have fun refing. You got to be worried about your safety. The Canucks alumni say they will not comment until they know more. The referee says he now has back and neck injuries from the incident, along with bruising and cuts to his face. He's now second-guessing his role as an official in a game he enjoys very much. Julie Nolan, Global News. A woman who once had aspirations of becoming a police officer is now suing a former Delta cop. She says she's still traumatized after first believing he would help her career, but instead being sexually groomed by him. Catherine Urquhart has an exclusive interview with the victim whose identity we have concealed. Inspector Vera Nadeau was fired from the Delta Police Department in 2019 for engaging in sexual communications with a would-be recruit. That recruit, who remains deeply traumatized, is speaking out for the first time. I feel that my self-worth is completely gone. So it's affecting you every day of your life? Absolutely. Now she has filed a civil suit against Nadu, who pursued her after she posted on LinkedIn that she aspired to be a police officer. The suit claims the purpose of Nadu's various messages and texts en masse was to groom the plaintiff for ease of sexual contact. Among the allegations that Nadu said, tell me about your sex life, asked what pleases you in the bedroom, and would you ever have sex in your vehicle? At one point, the two met in person. After he allegedly propositioned her, she filed a complaint. I'm hoping for full responsibility and acknowledgement of there's this bigger issue when it comes to policing and actually enforcing change to happen. In response to the suit, which includes them, the Delta Police Department said it does not tolerate or condone harassment, bullying or discrimination, especially in relationships of trust and power imbalances. Mr. Nadu's employment records reflect his dismissal from the Delta Police Department. The mayor and chair of the Delta Police Board said they cannot comment as the matter is before the courts. I want to continue to become a police officer. I want to push for that. But this systemic cultural change that needs to happen isn't happening. She's seeking non-pecuniary damages, aggravated damages, and loss of past and future earnings. Nadu's lawyer has not filed a response to the claim. The allegations have not been proven in court. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Up next, face to face with the devastation in Turkey. My legs did not hold me. When I saw the destruction, I literally collapsed on my knees. The homeland she hardly recognizes and why she fears for its future. A BC woman who lost 10 of her family members in the devastating earthquake in Turkey has returned to Vancouver after a trip back to her hometown. Sarah McDonald has more on what she witnessed there and what she believes could have been done to prevent the staggering loss of life. There was a 15-story building 
right here. When she was finally able to return to what was left of her once thriving cosmopolitan hometown in Turkey, Noel Simboltepe barely recognized it. My legs did not hold me when I saw the destruction, I literally collapsed on my knees. The city of Iskanderun ravaged by one devastatingly powerful earthquake. My sweet family was under the rubble for five days. And then another tremor weeks later, while Simboltepe, who lives in Vancouver, was there supporting her surviving relatives. I have lost so many members of my family and, uh, and sometimes I can't wrap this around my head. But Simboltepe was also there to offer aid on the ground to anyone who needed it, filling a void that critics say was left by the Turkish government. As buildings like the newly constructed tower that housed Simboltepe's relatives crumbled in the quake, none of them survived, with precious family photos and mementos recovered from beneath the rubble. Six neighborhoods in my hometown should not have had any buildings. They were buildings that were built against the safety protocol. As the death toll in Turkey and Syria surpasses 50,000, a tragedy of monumental proportions is now a growing humanitarian crisis. As calls for international aid continue. The world doesn't know is that some people who were rescued, they froze to death. The military was very, very late to response. And Simboltepe says while financial support from fellow British Columbians has been overwhelming, the Canadian government can still do much more. People are still homeless. I, I still don't understand why people are, they still don't have shelter and clean water and tents. With the need for aid and assistance amid an exhaustive recovery mission, likely critical for years to come. Sarah McDonald, Global News. A lack of lumber putting hundreds of jobs at risk. We have two weeks of lumber left. Why mill workers in Merritt say the province needs to speed up permit processing. Plus cocaine controversy. Two BC firms find themselves at the center debate about safer supply. With forest industry mills shutting down across BC, the employees of a mill in Merritt that is still running are accusing the BC government of jeopardizing their jobs. Aaron MacArthur reports. An act of desperation on a downtown street corner in Merritt. This small group of mill workers and loggers hoping someone will listen to them. I have worked there for 26 years. I feel really sorry for the young guys coming up. I just bought a house three, four years ago and bad timing right now. The issue is the fiber supply at the local mill. Aspen Planers has been idle since the beginning of December and only reopened when a supply of timber from northern Vancouver Island was sourced for processing. Management taking on the extra expense, fully aware of what the mill means economically to the Nicola Valley. We know, you know, we work with these people side by side for many years. You know, for them to sit at home without a paycheck, it's not good. According to the union, cutting permits for the region are being delayed by the provincial government. Permits that usually take 45 days to approve are taking months, sometimes up to a year. With no logs, there is no work. There should be no holdup. You know, it's awful. You know, we should be working straight through. We have breakup coming. And uh, once we hit breakup, we'll be out of work. The Ministry of Forests responded to Global's request for information with a three-line statement, which says government is actively engaged with local First Nations and industry partners to find a solution to provide long-term stability. In the meantime, logging contractors 
are waiting. We want these permits approved. We need to get back to work. We can't afford to be sitting at home. Without access to a consistent source of fiber, this stockpile of logs is enough to last a couple of weeks. Once it's gone, the saws at Aspen Planters will go quiet. No one knows when they might restart. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. A B.C. company is walking back its statement about commercializing cocaine after Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and Premier David Eby both weighed in with surprise. As Paul Johnson reports, it comes as we learn about another B.C. company that's received a similar license from Health Canada to produce and sell controlled substances, including cocaine. And then there were two. Thursday, we told you about Ad Astra, the Langley company that just got a license from Ottawa to make cocaine. Friday, we learned about another BC company, Sunshine Earth Labs, who say they've gotten a license to make not just cocaine, but also heroin, morphine and ecstasy, saying their aim is to bring a safe supply of drugs to the global market. Presumably, neither company expected this. We are working very, very quickly uh, with this company uh, to correct uh, their, uh, the misunderstanding that their uh, press release has, uh, has caused. That rebuke from the Prime Minister came a day after Premier David Eby was also blindsided by Adastra's news, saying he didn't know about their project, nor did it fit the vision for BC's recent decriminalization of hard drugs. I am also uh, wondering what the intention was of Health Canada in granting this license, especially to a company that apparently uh, uh, so uh, significantly misrepresented the nature of the license in a press release that they issued. By Friday afternoon, both companies had walked back their initial statements now saying explicitly the drugs they're licensed to make will not be sold to the public. But the CEOs of both companies refused to speak to Global News and wouldn't elaborate on what exactly the market is for these drugs and why BC needs a greater supply of them. I think it's quite alarming that the federal government is giving licenses to private companies. One intriguing source of pushback came from the Vancouver network of drug users who say they're inherently skeptical of the intentions of private companies seeking to provide safe supply. These people don't care about people dying. These people care about money. Van Du's John Braithwaite came to that cynical conclusion by looking at Adastra's stock price, which is up almost 50% since their first announcement went out. In Vancouver, Paul Johnson, Global News. Coming up, when getting a driver's license takes an unexpected turn. Ukrainian refugees facing an emotional roadblock on their journey to settle in Canada. Stay with us. One third of Canadian children are at risk of going to school every day on an empty stomach. And being hungry makes it harder for them to learn. That's why Global News is partnering with Toonies for Tummies to provide nutritious meals to children in need in your community. Please donate today. A group of people helping Ukrainian refugees is asking ICBC to make a change. They say the driver's license test is offered in a number of languages, including Russian, but not Ukrainian. And as Richard Zussman reports, that's problematic on many levels. It's a checklist any new immigrant to Canada goes through. Find housing, find work, get a driver's license. It's already stressful enough to be fleeing the war 
to learn new language, to kind of try to understand how everything works. And this is where it can get complicated. Alexandra Pavlenko moved to Cranbrook nearly a decade ago from Ukraine. Recently, she's been helping those fleeing the country following the illegal invasion by Russia. When her parents and other recent arrivals went to write the ICBC test to get a new license, it was available in 11 languages. Not available Ukrainian, the option offered, Russian. Even in Ukraine, a lot of people who maybe used Russian most of their lives, they now, like, starting to use only Ukrainian, right? They, they you know, seeing what's happening, seeing how, uh, you know, how Russia was using languages. The issue making its way to the floor of the legislature this week, BC Liberal MLA Tom Shapitka saying it's unacceptable for costs to be used as an excuse for not offering Ukrainian. That we need to have all hands on deck and support those coming in over from the Ukraine. We know they're coming in by the thousands and deservedly so. ICBC does not universally allow translators to help on written tests, offering instead phone translation. But it's cumbersome. So we're not going to take no for an answer. Now, after all this advocacy, the province taking a U-turn. But I most certainly will take back um, the, uh, the issue of being able to write the, uh, the test uh, in Ukrainian. And I completely agree asking to, uh, to, to write uh, in, in Russian is, is just completely unacceptable. Pavlenko and many others deeply grateful the test will soon be available in their preferred language. Every little step, step really, really helps. I think this is amazing. Richard Zussman, Global News. More than 70 centimeters of snow has fallen on the Coquihalla, forcing the closure of the highway until sometime tomorrow. The highway is now closed between Hope and Merritt due to extreme avalanche conditions. According to Drive BC, avalanche control work will resume tomorrow morning. Crews anticipate the road will reopen early Saturday afternoon. Drivers making the lengthy detour via either highways 1 or 3 are being told to expect significant delays. March comes in like a lion, and it seems to yes. be just continuing that lion path right now, Christy. Yeah, that's for sure. So I wanted to mention that the Kukala, the snowfall warning actually has ended, but we're still expecting flurries in that region throughout the day tomorrow. So heads up on that if you're headed that way uh, when it does open. I want to just quickly show you this photo. This is Christine Ensign's uh, mom. She's 88 years old and she's still going, look at this. There's Snoopy on, on the house there. So thank you so much to Christine for sharing that with us. And it's great to see people uh, using that snow that's on the ground, which it is in a lot of areas. Now, temperature wise, we're still at four or five degrees across the region, much cooler across the Sunshine Coast. Most areas in Metro Vancouver are seeing just rain. We still have the potential for snow as temperatures drop. What we have is a very unstable air mass, so it's very pockets of precipitation. Some areas have seen hail. Some areas are seeing a mix of rain and snow and some rainfall. You can see the lightning strike there as well. Or was there? Yeah, there it is. And then let's have a look at the areas that are under a warning. So it really is just the North Shore Mountains and then along the mountains through the Tri-Cities and over towards Maple Ridge. Areas above 150 meters have the potential of 2 to 10 centimeters by tomorrow morning. Um, but for the most part, we're dealing with rainfall or a mix of rain and snow. So you're not going to see any significant accumulations on the ground. But it could be slippery. And certainly across Vancouver Island, we're expecting snowfall anywhere from 2 to 4 centimeters, particularly 
really along the Malahat and in through the Nanaimo region. Uh, tomorrow, we are looking at a few flurries for the southwestern corner of the province, but otherwise a clearing trend on the way for our Sunday. And guess what? We are going to warm up on Sunday. Not for those of you in through the north, though. Look at the colder temperatures that are going to shift in. We are going to see sunshine across those northern regions, though. A few showers or flurries in through the southern Okanagan for our region. Showers, maybe some wet flurries through the morning hours, but it's certainly a transition to showers throughout the day. So a wet Saturday in store for us. But as we head into our Sunday, a clearing trend, and we've got lots of sunshine in store for us after that. And even a big warm-up, as you can see. Tonight's central windows weather window coming to you from Prince George. Evelyn and Robert were walking along in uh, one of the heritage parks there and captured this little guy. Apparently he was posing for them, so they were pretty excited. <laughs> Who's that? No, I'm kidding. It's terrible. Uh, Dad joke. Chris I is got there, it. So someone has to. I just got it now. <laughs> it wasn't Who's very, that? Wasn't like very that. good. Yeah. No tie fry, Squire. It is no tie fry. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. I like uh, it. Some people go casual Friday. I go no tie Friday. Um, well, the Canucks <laughs> talk today. And uh, they feel the addition they made the other day of Philip Ronick will uh, make things better next year. My expectations is to make the playoffs with the players we have here. He doesn't mean this year, he means next year. But of course, what's he supposed to say? We'll talk to Alvin and hear uh, about what he did and didn't do before the trade deadline. And later, satellite debris, Squire's doing double duty. refrain in oh, there always Nation. is, isn't there? I mean, right. occasionally there isn't this refrain, but for the yeah, most part. Very occasionally. Yes. Tell me if you've heard this before. Um, we were disappointed this year, but we believe we'll be a playoff team next season. I don't know how many different Canuck GMs have said that over the 50-plus years this franchise has been in existence, but it's been said so many times there should be a banner in Rogers Arena that says, wait till next year. And it was basically said again today by Patrick Alvin. Uh, yeah, we're not going to make the playoffs this year, which is extremely disappointed to myself. And, and that's on me. It's on me, and it's on me to make this team better. And since it's retool over rebuild, that's why Patrick Alvin was more than happy to make the startling trade of sending a first and second round pick to Detroit to get defenseman Philip Horonic. The prices will always be high on, uh, on high-end players. I don't think you get a uh, discount on high-end players. We had, we had the assets at this point to do it, and uh, we felt that this was an important move for our organization. And despite getting Horonic add to the Canucks salary cap crunch, Alvin thinks he will find a way out of that this summer. We don't know how much the cap is going to go up next year. That's, that's still a question here, too. So we'll see. But I, as I said, I felt comfortable enough doing this deal, knowing that I, I will be compliant. Now, one rumor flying around just before the deadline passed was the Canucks refused a trade offer for J.T. Miller, who came back from a supposed week-to-week -week injury in a matter of days. I never had an offer uh, for J.T. Miller, so i leave it at that. Okay, now about the next year part. Citing more structure with the coaching change, Patrick Alvin believes even without lottery luck in the Bedard sweepstakes, he has the horses to make a playoff run next season. 
my expectations is to make the playoffs with the players we have here. And especially you have an elite goalie in Tatcha Demko and, and uh, Philip Bronick, Quinn Hughes, uh, Patterson, Miller, Kosmenko. I mean, we, we have a good, we have good players here, no doubt about it. But but we need to learn how to play as a team, and and we has we have a lot of work to be do do in order to be a, a playoff team here. But I'm very confident in the coaching staff I got in here now, and what we're gonna do in order to come ready next year. Now, the Canucks did trade Curtis Lazard in New Jersey for a fourth-round pick in 2024. He had three goals and two assists in 45 games with the Canucks. I think Vancouver was hoping for a little more production than five points. He gives the Devils a checking forward who can help them in the playoffs, and he didn't cost New Jersey very much, obviously. Well, the Rugby Sevens tournament started today, and it continues through to Sunday. The bigger crowds will be on the weekend, but today the organizers decided to use Friday to sell the game to some young fans. They let some school kids in, well, quite a few school kids in, to watch the games for free. Yeah, no, when we obviously uh, went to a combined tournament this year and uh, looked at the extended three days, uh, it was a really unique opportunity on the Friday morning, looking at the timing of it, and we thought, what a great way to uh, host. And so we've got almost 7,000 school kids in here, uh, provided free admission for them, really looking to inspire that next generation. And uh, hopefully, you know, maybe there's the next uh, women's and men's uh, national team players out here watching today. All right, well, let's see how our national teams did in their first games. Canada taking on Ireland. Actually, both games were Canada and Ireland. This is the women. And Ireland led 21-0 at halftime. And then Eve Higgins goes in here to make it 28-0 for the Irish. Uh, Canada does get one. Good speed to the outside for Kiera Wardley. And she'll go 70 yards for the try. But Canada falls 28-7 to Ireland. And Canada saw its men also have a tough day against the team from Ireland. So the Irish are a strong side here. They dominated the opening half. Andrew Smith, that's his second try. So 28-0 Ireland at the break. Canada had a better second half. Now the Canadian men, as we said, are kind of going through a transition phase. Cal Sager going in for the lone try for Canada in this game. They lost 35-5. Canada will play Australia tonight. And as we said, action continues for the men and women all this weekend. And speaking of action, tonight at uh, the Langley Event Center, there's the uh, Final Four in the 4A Girls Basketball Tournament, Walnut Grove, Yale. That one uh, just underway. And then later on, my old school, Burnaby Central really? against uh, Riverside. Yes. The uh, Global Relay Gastown Grand Prix is back for this year. It'll be held on July 12th. It hasn't been run since 2019, and this will be the 50th anniversary of the race as well. And are you going to be in it? <laughs> I'll be on the sidelines. Oh, but I come think on. I need to take that day off. All right, okay. <laughs> For sure. All right, thanks, Squire. Stick around. Satellite Debris is up next. All right, Jordan Armstrong is here now with a look ahead to Global News at 11. Jordan? Sophie, a lot of people have heard the ad playing on the radio proclaiming David Eby as a man of action who's done a lot in his first 100 days in office. It comes across as a political ad. It even states that it's brought to you by BC NDP MLAs. You might think it's an ad paid for by the party, but it's actually paid for by you, the taxpayer. At 11, you'll hear the Premier's justification for the ad, plus what the NDP used to say about the Liberals running partisan ads with public money back when Christy Clark was Premier. Sophie? 
goes back and forth over the they years, doesn't it? They all do it. it? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Jordan. Looking forward to that. All right. Uh, it is Friday. Mm-hmm. Week. Mine was shortened, but whatever. I'm still here. <laughs> well, we're glad, glad you're here. here. I'm glad I'm here, too, yeah. because I'm here for satellite debris. Yes, and I have a couple of um, leftovers, you might want to say. I'm not a big leftover person, but I do like commercial leftovers from the Super Bowl. So here are two. Are you excited about buying an electric vehicle, but worried that it could leave you unsatisfied? Then you could be one of many Americans concerned about premature electrification. Symptoms may include fearing you might not be able to last as long as you'd like. There was plenty of charge before. Sometimes it goes away. A lot of times. I've been working a lot. Being unsure if you have enough power to handle your payload. I don't know if I got the power for this baby. I'm adventurous. I like to go all the way. I don't want to have to question if we're even going to make it. Yeah. It's a concern. Lacking the confidence about getting and being able to keep a charge. Having to stop every time we got really excited, that wouldn't work for me. Stop. Start. Stop. Start. If PE, premature electrification, is something you're worried about, go to RamRev.com and find out if the Ram 1500 Rev, with options being designed to extend range in satisfying ways, is right for you. Stop. Start. Hi, what can I do for you? Duncan Run, medium or large coffee, get a donut for an incremental dollar. Are you interested? I'm just gonna... I'm gonna ask you to please take the deal, sir. You need me to do Right it. now, sir, I want you to take the Duncan Run. Please order for your Massachusetts second donuts. Thank you. A breakfast wrap. Roasted tomato, grilled cheese, sourdough, bread, yeah. turkey, oh. sausage, egg and cheese, bacon, bacon, cheese, maple sugar, bacon, black, peppercorn. Are you all right this morning? <laughs> I'm coming on blues. What are you doing here? I can't believe it's you! <laughs> <laughs> all right. So this, um... Free Ride World Tour a ski event uh, last month in Golden at Kicking Horse. Uh, the winner, uh, or one of the winners, I guess, was a young man named Matt Hitzig, who's off. I want to show you this because he had an 80-foot backflip that was redonkulous. Oh, how do you spell that? I don't know. I just wanted to say that <laughs> once. There it is. But it's oh better to see it this way. Now you see what he does. Oh, I give wow. it to you one more time. I know. I know. Oh my. I mean, did he just think of that on the spot? Whatever the case, give that man a spot on top of the podium. That was Feel brilliant. Feel a bit seasick. Yeah, no kidding. Keep from that. <laughs> well, that guy's yeah. happy he finished. There you go. All right, uh, a couple now from uh, France, Saloge. Real estate. Here we go. A presentation I'm sharing. This is Beth from my
Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.